0: Welcome back to The Middle of Culture. I'm one of your hosts, Eden.
1: And I'm your other host, Peter. How was that for my NPR voice? I couldn't help but laugh at that. Uh, that was not NPR voice. That was that was Sunday, 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 Sunday. Oh, I can do that too. This Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. I don't know. You know I what? You laughed really, really hard, hard when I was listening to your thing last week and you were talking about my NPR voice. So I appreciated that. It made me chuckle.
0: I just think it's funny. Every time I talk about my podcast with my partner, Cassie, she's always like, oh, Peter's NPR voice. And I, I've never thought of it that way, <laughs> but she always calls it your NPR voice. And so I had to throw it in there. I liked um,
1: it. it made me laugh. The real
0: The real one is not the Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. It's can you do the Telemundo announcer voice? Esta noche en Telemundo, romancing <laughs> a de stone. That's what you got to go for.
1: Yeah, that would be a good one. And see the one I what I would have gone with was It's Sabado Gigante because oh, that was the one Sabado
0: was Gigante first. memories. Oh Sabado memories Gigante. of watching that sex pest on Sabado Gigante. <laughs> yep.
1: Yep. That was anyway, that show was something. It
0: was I bet it's still going. <laughs> I know that dude is dead and in the ground. But uh, I'm sure Sabado Gigante still exists. Oh yeah. Um, but what have you been up to, Peter?
1: You know, um, we were kind of chatting before we hit record, but mostly just uh, been up to life, been working a lot. Um, but I, it is now September. My new partner has started, and I should never have to work as much as I worked in the month of August again. In fact, I've already told everybody at work that if I'm ever in a situation where I have to work that much again, I'm done, and I will quit. And uh, so they all know that that's out there floating around. Uh, But between that, getting people ready for school, getting Lissa back to uh, grad school, Uh, Getting Gareth started in high school, which also, look, dude, you know what was not on my first week of school parent bingo card as the father of a freshman who turned 14 after the first half week of school? So Gareth starts high school last week at the age of 13. It was Wednesday was the first day of school. Tuesday night, I took him. We did a little freshman orientation. And we're walking through the high school. And there's all these parents. And there's all these other freshmen. And I'm looking around and I'm like, huh. I know that Gareth is tall. And I've always thought he was going to end up the tallest male in the family. Uh But what I didn't fully appreciate is the fact... That with the exception of one kid who, is, he's, who he is friends with and swims with, Gareth was literally the tallest kid in the school of freshmen. And, I mean, you know, he's at that time, he's 13 and he's 5'11". And so he doesn't look 13, I guess. And then all of a sudden, this Tuesday morning, he sends me a text. Literally the day after his birthday, he has now officially turned 14. I get a text at work and he's like, uh, dad, uh, I got asked to homecoming. I'm like what? <laughs> I'm like, y- you're 13. Okay. You're 14 technically. But I'm like, you're what? Just a little guy. Like you can't be. So I was like, um, I think you're still a little young to be like dating. If you're like just hanging out in a bunch of friends in a group, I guess. But I'm like, I was not emotionally prepared to be talking to my 14 year old by again, one day about the fact that (laughs) maybe he was a little young to be going to, um, Maybe he was a little young to be going to homecoming. So that was a, that was an interesting experience this last week. And then, you know, add on top of the fact that uh, Alex has been uh, starting his mission. And so uh, it's been a very busy and interesting month. But how about you? How have you been?
0: That's, that's pretty wild. Um, I have also been busy. Um, you know, we did some travel, uh, went to visit cassie's family uh for a bit which you know is always an adventure oh Um, yeah and then we have been i've been busy with the start of the school year it was really funny the first week of classes which was last semester quiet tranquil i was i had very little to do and i was like "Whoa, maybe this just bodes for a very quiet semester not so, my friends. <laughs> uh, every day this week I had between 7 and 10 meetings.
1: Oh, that's so gross.
0: Um, and granted, like, to be fair, my job is meetings, basically. A lot of my job <laughs> is meetings. But 10 in one day is too many meetings. It should be uh-huh. illegal. Um, and I don't ever want to do it again. Um, two to three is a sweet spot of meetings for one day. I don't need to do between 7 and 10. Um, but that's all done. Next week is gonna be a little busier than like that first week was. Next couple weeks will be a bit busier, but hopefully not quite as busy as this week. And then hopefully we'll be able to uh just chill. Chill out a little nice. bit. Nice. So uh what you been checking out? Anything fun? You've been reading anything, watching anything?
1: Uh in terms of reading, uh, we'll talk. We in will. terms of watching um, I can't remember if I mentioned on the podcast that I started watching Brooklyn Nine Nine. Uh, I'm enjoying it. It's fun. It's kind of dumb, but I like the fact that at least so far, where I'm, I'm just at the uh, relatively early in season two. I like the fact that it still has kind of a heart. Like the characters all ultimately like each other and look out for uh-huh. each other and. That's kind of what I need in my life right now, in my entertainment. Uh, I have not bothered with touching the Wheel of Time because I'm just bored with it. Um, <laughs> That's I, fair. Uh, you know, so it hasn't been a lot of that. I have been playing a little bit of games here and there. Kind of. what's that? Well, I kind of got tired of Diablo 4. I'm going to let them fix it a little bit before I go back in it just it feels like a slog uh it's too too slow leveling too much work too much just I don't know and and not enough loot you know that's the thing with with a game like Diablo 4 if the loot cycle is good um, then you know it's it's easy to make yourself play it but it hasn't been great so I bounced off that I did fire up Baldur's Gate 3 and played some of that. Um, it feels a little too big right now uh-huh. for me. So I, I again, I'm going to let that kind of get patched and stuff. But, but, but having, you know, as we have talked about before, regularly playing Dungeons and Dragons, it's kind of fun to play that and really go, oh, wow, this is an incredibly faithful adaptation of 5e D&D. Oh, records.
0: yeah, it's. It's just Dungeons and Dragons. Like, it's just the game.
1: Yeah. it No, it straight up is. And so that's been kind of fun to see. Um, I uh, suck. I let myself get suckered to pre-order the premium edition of Starfield. So I actually played that for about an hour and a half today.
0: Man, Um, you have no idea how close I was to doing that last night when I was like, I could wait till Tuesday, but I have (laughs) Monday off.
1: Ooh, yeah. So
0: what if I buy Starfield tonight Uh and play Starfield all weekend? I did not Uh succumb. I did not succumb.
1: Well, I played for about an hour and a half, and then the game just crashed me to the desktop. And so I was like, oh, it's Bethesda. What (laughs) was I thinking? (laughs) It's a Bethesda (laughs) game. So, honestly, probably what I've played the most in the last week or so is uh, Forza Horizon 5 because that game rules. Uh, All of the the Forza Horizon 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 games are so so fantastic. And um, I've been playing it on my PC and Gareth is playing it on the Xbox. And uh, I just, and and honestly, you know what, uh, plays the Forza Horizon games really, really well. That would be my Asus Rog Ally, the little, does it? You know, gaming. Oh yeah, it plays them great, and so, and the control scheme is basically that of an Xbox controller. So it's sure they are like perfect games to sit with the Rog Ally in my hands and play. Uh, so I've been doing some Forza, you know, just listening. Five to the was music the that's Five's out, the Mexico
0: but. one, right?
1: Yep, five is Mexico. Four was Great Britain. Because
0: four was the one that the environments kind of sucked because it was that terrible island.
1: um, (laughs) If by that terrible island, you mean mean Great Britain, yes. I do. I mean Turf Island.
0: (laughs) Mexico, do you know what's a better place than Great Britain? Mexico. Both in terms of the people that live there and in terms of the sites. Yeah.
1: But, no, I've been playing a fair bit of – Like I say, I've been playing a fair bit of Forza Horizon 5 again. I played it when it first came out and then didn't for a while. And it's a great game because, again, you can sit there and play it for hours and just find all, you know, explore, do different races, do different things. Or you can literally fire it up and do one or two races and in 15 minutes you can be like, okay, cool, I'm going to take a break now. So Mm -hmm. it's a... It's an excellent game and uh I've been enjoying it. But other than that, that's about it. What about you? What you been up to? What you been checking yeah. out?
0: Yeah. Um, so in terms of watching things, while I was visiting my in laws, we did it. We did the Barbenheimer.
1: Ooh, excellent.
0: So we went and saw Barbie again. I mentioned last episode that we had gone and seen Barbie. Um, which again I maintain. Did you ever end up seeing it? I know you said the rest of your family had.
1: I did not, um, again, mostly because almost the entire month of August I was on call and I refuse to go to movies when I'm on call.
0: That's fair. You don't want to be the asshole who has to stand up and leave because you got a page.
1: Well, okay, so you're giving me too much credit. I, I'd, I could not possibly care less about getting <laughs> up and stepping out to take a phone call and answer that because really what I'll do is I'll just – I'll hang up on the person and then I'll step out in the hall and call them. I just don't want to go and spend whatever, 13 to $15 for a ticket and then have to leave in the middle. And if I go with anybody in my family, then we have to take two cars in case I have to leave. And so it's just a hassle that is not worth it. Uh, So no, I I didn't go see it and I don't think I will. I'll, I'll maybe check it out when it's on streaming or something, but
0: yeah. I, I think it's really worth seeing on streaming at some point. Um, I do think, I do think that I saw some real out-of-pocket reactions to it, both for and against. Because okay. I saw some people that were like, this movie is teaching you to hate men. No, it's not. No, it's not. Um, Fundamentally, it is not. Fundamentally, a lot of this movie is about men and male feelings, maybe more than I think it should have been. But that's neither here nor there. On the other hand, though, I read this article that was like, the most explicitly feminist movie ever made. And it's like, dog, Greta Gerwig herself has made two more explicitly feminist movies than Barbie. Like... Lady Bird and Little Women are both more explicitly feminist in huge scare quotes than the Barbie movie, which, while enjoyable, while I really liked it, thought it was fun, especially liked a lot of the, like, practical set work that went into it, is still fundamentally product placement for a doll. Mm -hmm. Like, don't get it twisted. Little Women is a better story than that and a more explicitly feminist one. But anyway... We went and saw that with uh, most of Cassie's family, but her father and brother stayed behind with the little kids because obviously we were going to like an 8 p.m. showing, and also it's a PG-13 rated movie, and the kids are like 6, 5, and 2, so like it's not sure. for them. Um, so they stayed home with them, but then a couple days later they were like, well, we want to go see a movie. We're going to go see Oppenheimer. And since Cassie and I, unencumbered, by such things as children. We were like, <laughs> we shall that. accompany you to the Oppenheimer. Um, and it was a pretty... It, what I'll say about it is, it's the most I've liked a Nolan movie probably since Memento. Mm. With the caveat that I don't like Christopher Nolan movies very much. Mm-hmm. Maybe Interstellar. I of. Of his last 20 years, the one I would have liked most before I saw Oppenheimer, I would have said Interstellar. But I think Oppenheimer's a better movie, fundamentally. And I think a lot of that rests on the fact that, do you know who's a better actor than Matthew McConaughey? Killian Murphy. Mm -hmm. And he is incredible in Oppenheimer. He carries the entire film. He is extremely good. Um, And the rest of the cast is also very good. Don't, Don't let me misspeak. I think that By and large, the whole cast was very good, but Killian Murphy really gives a tour de force performance in it. Um, so it was good. Um, cool. I don't think Cassie's family listens to this, so I'm just gonna say it. Was it a little funny and uncomfortable to have full nude sex scenes sitting next to my Mormon bishop father in law? Yes, (laughs) yes, (laughs) that was a little awkward. (laughs) and to be fair it was not awkward seeing that next to my wife like no big deal it was the bishop father-in-law next to me that i was like i'm a little uncomfortable (laughs) having florence Pugh's whole decolletage out but here we are it's neither here nor there um i did enjoy it though um let's see in terms of books i've been reading some stuff um i mentioned last time we were talking about books and i mentioned how you know neuromancer didn't really do it for me and then I, as a flippant thing said, if you want to read early cyberpunk, read Trouble and Her Friends. And it occurred to me, I've never actually read Trouble and Her Friends. I've only heard really good things about it. So I decided to read Trouble and Her Friends. I'm about two-thirds of the way through it, and I am really enjoying it. It's, it's a cyberpunk book from 1994. Um, with all that that entails. Both good in that it's really it's got a very big imagination of what the internet was going to look like in the future mm. and bad in that it's got a really big imagination about what the internet was going to look like <laughs> in the future. Um, I thought
1: that that was maybe where you here going to go with that. So,
0: It's, it's, uh, you know, it's one of those things. It's the same sort of thing. Like if you play shadow run, um or or you know other things like that where they're like you know the net is this like virtual world that you enter like it's tron and then you have to fight against the different programs and like that's all very interesting but mm-hmm. also feels so anachronistic even for 1994 when this book was published but to be fair the book is set in like the you know like 2090s like so like a hundred years after it was written. So who knows, maybe in 70 years, that is what the internet's going to look like. I however doubt it because we live in the in the terrible cyberpunk dystopia and it's worse than anything anyone has ever imagined. Um, But I'm really enjoying it. It's a lot of fun. I will report back when I finish. Um, I also read the first six volumes of a manga series called delicious in dungeon. Uh, by ryoko kiwi and uh have you ever heard of this this is really a funny book series I have. it is it's basically the setup of this of this series is there's this dungeon that has appeared and it's magical it's you know got all sorts of weird like wards and stuff and it is and you know when it opened up The former ruler of the kingdom that's trapped inside of this dungeon appeared and was like, whoever defeats the sorceress who has enchanted this dungeon will, you know, gain control over it, basically become the king of it. And so all these adventurers start showing up. But because it's like a weird enchanted dungeon, there's all sorts of weird stuff about how, like, if you die in the dungeon, it's super easy to resurrect you. It's just some spells. It's fine. Just like, you know, normal fantasy world stuff. The rest of the world is not like that. It's because it's this is Enchanted Dungeon. But anyway, this, the, the thing about this book is, or this story is, it's, there's this adventuring party. And the main, like the, the heads of this adventuring party, the co-heads were this um, man named Laios and his sister. Um, and his sister gets eaten by a great red dragon right as the book starts. Mm-hmm. And then the dragon flies away, and like they're all defeated, and all their stuff is destroyed, and everything. And so, Lyos is like, "Well, we gotta go kill this dragon because if we can get enough of my sister's body back, we can resurrect her." Like, but there needs to be enough body there.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And but like two of their adventuring party are like, "We can't, we can't do this anymore. We quit." So it's Lyos and who's like, you know. He, again it's all just like real generic fantasy ass fantasy stuff so Lyos is like a you know like a like a knight a warrior he's in plate mail and has a, a a sword and then there's the elf who's like the mage and there is a halfling who's like their their thief and then the other people leave and they're like oh we don't have a big enough we don't have enough people in this party now we're gonna die we don't have any supplies we don't have any money to go get supplies And we got to hustle because we got to get her remains back before they get digested. Uh Um, And so they run into this dwarf um, who lives in the dungeon and eats all of the monsters that are in the dungeon, and that's how he survives. And so Lyos has always been secretly curious about monsters and eaten monsters. So he recruits this dwarf, and they start making their way through the dungeon while utilizing all of the natural resources found therein. Um, And so it's very funny. It's like really kind of broad comedy, but also has some really fun character interactions. But it is just about this adventuring party. That's like just being weird and like, Oh, can you eat this? I guess let's all find out together. Um, Lots of stuff has happened. Sister was found resurrected. Other weird stuff is happening. Six books into the series. Um, but it's wrapping up soon. Um, 12 volumes are out. I think it's going to end at probably 13 or 14 volumes. Like there's only a couple chapters left to come out in in Japanese. Um, so I knew that it was like a good time to start because this is not going to be a one piece situation where there's 120 volumes of this shit. Like I know it's going to end. Um, and I'm really enjoying it. I think it's very funny. I think it's very, uh, it's really impressive drawing has, it, it, it's really funny because it is like a funny action dungeon crawler book while also being like a cooking manga because there's always like these lovingly drawn pictures of the dishes with like the ingredients listed like it would be in a cooking manga except the ingredients are like basilisk egg, <laughs> things like that. Um, but it's fun. Cool. Uh, and then lastly, I'll mention a few games. I'll be quick about it there's not a whole lot to mention, but I have been playing a fair amount of games. I got my Steam Deck, I think, a couple episodes ago, I mentioned. Took it with me on vacation. It was great for farming sims. You know what's great on a on a Steam Deck? A farm sim. Uh, and so I've been playing a couple of those lately. Um, one of which I think I've, I think I'm gonna be kind of done with at this point, but one of which I'm gonna keep playing. Um, and those are Sunhaven and Roots of Pacha. Um, And Sunhaven is, like, what if Furries made Stardew Valley? Because, like, that's just how I would describe it. Um, It's a little more, like, complex and in-depth than Stardew. You have three farms instead of one. I think maybe we talked about it, but regardless. Uh It's it's fine, but I think I've just kind of reached a point where I'm done with it. Um, And then I also started playing Roots of Pacha, which is a very cool one that is basically what if the farm, what if you were the first farmer because it's set in the paleolithic era of hunter gatherers and you decide what if agriculture? (laughs) And so that's the premise of the game is you live in this like, You know, Stone Age era tribe, and you are the first person to try growing things and cultivating things and doing agriculture. So you you have to like go out and forage seeds from all over, come back and plant them, and the more you grow them, the more your knowledge of agriculture grows. The better crops you get, and eventually you domesticate and you start to domesticate the crops. So instead of being you know wild quinoa, you start growing quinoa. Instead of being wild garbanzo beans you start growing better like more cultivated you know uh, per, uh, you know engineered garbanzo beans because you understand the plants more um and you know all that is abstracted just like how many of them you have you grown it's not like this is like really in-depth scientifically or anything sure. but i think that it's a really fun idea to do it in this way where like i don't just go buy seeds in the store i have to go forage for them and then i have to figure out how to grow them myself. Um, And it's just kind of a cool game. Nice. Um, I put a few hours into Marvel's Midnight Suns, which is the tactics game that came out late last year. Have you played that?
1: I have not. I've heard good things from some people.
0: What I'll say is there is a good game there. It's hard to find. It's hard to get to because the tactical layer, like the, The tactical card battler of i have a team of three heroes they have a series of different cards that they can play based on how much power they have based on you know what kind of damage i want to do to which kind of enemy this is all really cool stuff it's like it's doing what a lot of the the tactical card games like slay the spire or things like that are doing in a more spatially related sort of way because you know this is a 3d game as opposed to a 2d game that stuff's really cool like it's really cool to be like okay I know what kind of bad guys might be on this mission, so what heroes do I want to bring that have which abilities and which ones kind of synergize one with another? And all that sort of stuff is really, really good. And you're like, yeah, man, this is the team that made XCOM and XCOM 2. They know what they're doing to make a tactics game. Unfortunately, in between every very cool tactics game or tactics match, you have to run around the Abbey and talk to 15 different Marvel heroes whose writing is somewhere between good and abysmal. None of it is great. (laughs) Um, And I'm just tired of walking around and talking to people. I just want to play the fucking card game. I don't want to have to go to the forge and get iron man to open x thing that has some sorts of cards in it and get doctor strange to open y thing that has upgrade materials in it and i gotta go talk to blade and do training so that my heroes get stronger and then i gotta go talk to captain marvel so i can send other heroes out on missions and like all the shit that you're doing in XCOM in your base but that's just like Here's your base, and you click engineering, and you say, make this shit. And then you click on the research base, and you say, research this shit. And then you go to the assignments page, and you say, these two soldiers there. And then you go to the next mission, and it takes two minutes. But in this one, i got to take my character and run around this fully rendered 3D space from place to place and have a chat with all of the different Marvel heroes, which, again, some of them are written quite well, and some of them are not, but, like... It's just too much I just want to get to I just want to get to the fights I just want to do the tactics so I don't know if I'll go back to it or not it's kind of boring that's too bad and then the last thing I'll mention just because I'm so disappointed uh thinking to myself I'll wait till Tuesday to buy starfield yesterday <laughs> and instead of spending eighty dollars or ninety dollars however the hell much on the uh, special edition so I could play starting today. I downloaded and installed stranger of paradise, final fantasy origins. Uh That game plays like dog shit on my PC. I was getting single frames. Um, whenever there was particle effects on the screen, single frames, like single digit frames per second, that's not playable, especially for an action game. So I guess I just won't play that game on my PC. Maybe I'll try to pick it up for the PlayStation or the Xbox. I don't know. But, uh, For whatever reason, I thought my PC'd be able to do it and it cannot, it can't hang. That's a bummer. So, it's a shame. What little I got to see of it before it started to really chug seemed like it was (laughs) pretty cool. And I have some friends who are like, Final Fantasy 16 sucked. Go play Stranger of Paradise. That game rules. Uh, And I won't be finding out now. I will have to wait till I buy it a second time. (laughs) Anyway, that's what I've been up to. Cool. So, as Peter said, we're going to be talking, and as I mentioned in the short episode last two last time, two weeks ago, the little uh, "Hey, we're going to take a break" episode. Um, we are going today to be talking about a sh- collection of short stories by the Japanese writer Izumi Suzuki called "Terminal Boredom." Um, before I talk a little bit about who she was, how this collection came to be, and then we can talk about the stories in this collection, I would be very curious to get your overall impression on this collection of stories after you read it, Peter?
1: Well, so, um, I didn't get through very much. Honestly. And, uh, I really, really struggled with this. I read the first story and was like, uh, and I started the second story and I was like, (laughs) uh, oh. <laughs> and, and then I just, as I mentioned, life has been so busy that I was like, okay, I, I, I'm not getting this read. Uh, I'll come back to it. Uh, I started stressing about that a little bit. I went and I bought the audio book and I tried to listen to that second story. And I was like, Oh my gosh, this is the worst audiobook I've ever heard in my life.
0: Oh, that sucks cuz I was just thinking to myself, "Oh man, there's an audiobook version, that would have been so handy." Not if it's yeah. a bad audiobook.
1: Well, so you know, here's the thing. Um and I'm just going to mention this to get this out of the way. The audiobook was so bad because the person who's reading it is I it didn't work for me. They very much First of all, they were talking like this with this very affected kind of quiet voice. And no. then sometimes it would get a little bit louder, but it was still so weirdly stilted and kind of felt like there was bizarre emphasis on some of the syllables. Oh. Oh and and so i'm trying to listen to this like i normally do and i normally listen to audiobooks as well as podcasts at about between you know 1.8 1.9 times speed um and i'm used to it i've done this for so many years that it doesn't even phase me and so i dropped it down a tenth and it still was just almost incomprehensible because the way it went back and forth between loud and soft and And again, that weird kind of stilted sort of way that she was reading it, I dropped it all the way down to one time to list to one X speed to see if it was comprehensible and it was only barely. And then again, she was reading it so quietly that I've got it cranked up to the point that I kind of forgot about that when I got in my car the next time and it connected to Bluetooth and started like blasting some death metal almost like ruined it was just so i i did like i i think i made it through all of the second story on the audiobook and then i was like hell no i'm done i'm not doing that and then i read the third story and i was just like okay i've had three stories where it just feels like there's you know, the characters are just experiencing some sort of existential nihilism. And at the end of it, it's just like, and, and that just to be honest, as I kind of hinted at when I was talking about watching Brooklyn nine, nine, the reason I can come back to that is because it's not mean because the main characters, you know, the characters in this police squad, you can tell that they care about each other and that, That while there is some, you know, sitcom stupidity here and there, at the end of the day, they like each other and they care about each other and they're looking out for each other. And just because of where I'm at right now in life, I need something like that. That, That's why I stopped reading The Wheel of Time, because again, it's just there's oh, there's too much ennui and too many of the characters and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, you know what I'm going to read next? I'm going to read The Chronicles of Perdane again because I know that I will enjoy those and that they're going to be what I need right now. So I only made it through the first three stories and then I was stressing about, oh, I've got to try and read more. And then I thought to myself, you know what? No, you don't. I think I don't need to. And I think we can talk about why I only made it through the first three stories.
0: I think that that was the right choice for you to make. Even though I, like I said, I really enjoyed this. I read it a couple of years ago when it first came out and I thought it was incredible. Um, I really enjoyed it the second time through again. Um, You know, I bought the second volume of her short stories that came out a couple of months ago. I haven't gotten to it yet, but I was really excited when that came out and I'm excited to read those probably in the next couple of months. Um, But I also understand that like there's a, peculiarity to it and and a way in which that that's it's just very particular and you got to be in in a certain mindset i feel like for suzuki's stories to hit Uh um i can totally see that and it makes sense that you weren't given the fact that life has been rough you've been in like a, a stressful situation it's hard to come and then read this story Uh, most of these stories, which are just about like, what's the point of any of this fucking shit?
1: Exactly. Yeah. No, that was exactly what it was where I got to the, okay. So I'm going to draw a comparison that trust me, I'll get there. I believe, you know, many years ago, um, when the hunger games was hitting and it was hitting hard, you know, my kids were reading them and I remember, uh, Jess, my oldest, they had to do a book report and I think it was on Catching Fire. They did it on the second one. And I remember helping them, you know, we had to get them a costume and do all this kind of stuff. And as I try to do, uh, if there's something like books and that kind of stuff that my kids are really into, I-, I want to at least be sort of familiar with it. So I read the Hunger Games. I'm like, okay, my kids, or at least my oldest, they seem to really enjoy this. Uh, I want to, you know, I want to know what's going on. And I read them and I kind of liked the first book. And I, I think I remember again, it's been many years, but I remember quite liking the second one. And then I got to the third and at the end of the third, it just ended with this. Well, what was the point of it all? Because sure, certain people changed positions of power, but you get the – and I think this was intentional uh, uh-huh. by, by Susan Collins. But you get this distinct impression that, hey, guess what? This world, it is no better off than it was when this all started. And that didn't work for me at the time. And again, I can see perhaps what, what she was trying to do, the author, and that sort of thing. But it was enough of a, a turnoff for me that I was like, Bleh. I do not like these not going to go back and ever read them. I'm done move on out of my mind. And, you know, I had that kind of same gut reaction to these three stories that I read because all of them, it kind of felt like it got to the end and it was like, eh, what was the point? Everything was, there was no point in, and, and again, purposefully, not that, not that the author didn't know what she was doing. But that that was, I think, at least those three stories I read, that was part of this was just this idea that, mm, yeah, no, it's just sometimes things just suck.
0: Yeah. And like, um, that's what this book is about. This book is, you know, I I mentioned um, at the end or at the last episode that China Miavel in his response to this basically says, to use one of her own coolly illuminated formulations, Suzuki is a steward of a new anxiety, and that is what it feels like. These stories are they're they're claustrophobic and uh-huh. anxious, while ultimately also filled with like this type. This it, it's like the claustrophobia and the anxiety has made me so that the only response that I can have, the only natural response, is disaffection and ennui. That the uh-huh. only way to respond to the way that things are right now is to dissociate. And that is basically what all of these stories are about. And like, once you find out more about Suzuki's life, you kind of understand that like, of course that's where this author comes from. And this is what this author does. Um. So just like a quick biography on her. I don't know if you looked her up at all or found out I anything about her. Um. So she was born in 1949, died in 1986 um, and was like kind of big in that late seventies, early eighties, counter-cultural movement in Japan. Um, like it was before the like huge technological boom of the, of the eighties happened to Japan. So there was a lot of like, it was a rough time to be in Japan. There wasn't a lot, of, there wasn't as much money as they had now. There wasn't the level of prosperity that they had as of the like mid to late eighties, um, You know, it was, I I was talking with a friend about this the other day about how like nowadays made in China is like the, oh, this is like a shitty thing because it's made in China. Although less and less, but like, especially when we were kids, like in the nineties and two thousands, that was the thing of like, oh, well, this was made in China. That means it's crappy. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's not the way in the. 90s and 2000s people traded things from japan that was where like all the cool innovation was happening oh yep. you got a samsung Ooh, you've got a nissan Ooh, that's not where japan was in the 70s japan was seen as what people thought of as made in china in the 2000s where like if a thing was made in japan well that's like shitty and gonna fall apart and a knockoff and crappy and cheap and so, like, it was before they had had that technological boom that was largely predicated on the making VHS really cheap and video games that was the 80s. Like, before that, it was not easy. And so that was where she grew up. Um, and she just lived this, like, really troubled life. Um, you know, she worked early in her life in softcore pornography. Um she was married to this avant-garde saxophonist, Kauro Abe, for a few years, had a kid with him, but, like, was not ready to raise a kid, so sent her kid off to be raised by her parents, um, until her husband, they, like, divorced, but they were still living together, he died of an overdose in 1978, um, and so, like, trying to create some semblance of normality in her life. She eventually started raising her daughter, but like it was still really rough. And eventually she ended up dying by suicide at the age of 36 in Mm. 1986. She hung herself because she was living in many regards, the life that we see in these stories, even though these are like sort of nominally dystopian sci-fi stories because her life was that way. Like she she was a victim of the very terminal boredom that the uh, book is is titled after, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think that you see that disaffection and detachment and dissociation in all of these stories. Um, you know, I, I totally understand why you weren't able to get through a lot of them. I think it's a shame that you didn't get to Smoke Gets in Your Eyes, because that's my favorite one. Um, but I also understand that, you know, this was heavy reading and not necessarily very easy. Um, and a lot of it is dealing with themes of aging, um, themes of death, Mm -hmm. but like death by disaffection. Um, you know, one of the stories that you did read, you may dream the premise of that story is. There's overpopulation, and so some people just get told by the government, you get to die, and there's nothing you get to do about it. But we do have this thing where if you find someone who's willing, we'll import you into their subconscious so you can live in their dreams still. We'll kill you. You're dead, because we don't have space. But you can live on in their dreams. And so that story is about this girl whose friend basically asks her I've been given the death sentence. Can I live in your dreams? And she assents to it. And then she realizes it really fucking sucks. Yeah. And like, it sucks because the person in her dreams is like, what are you doing with your life? How are you living your life still? You still have a life. I don't have a life anymore. What are you doing with the gift of life that you have been given? And the answer is absolutely nothing. Uh-huh. And she doesn't want to do anything with her life because she is so dissociative that she all she can do is like drift through life, like doing as little as possible. And so she is angry that this person who can only live through her dreams wants her to do something with her life. It's, it's heavy. It's heavy yeah, stuff. It was very heavy. And like and I like say, the, it, it's,
1: oh, go ahead. You know, again, it wasn't that for me by any means that I thought that they were poorly written or anything like that. It really was just, I could see that there was a lot of interesting stuff going on. It just, it wasn't going to work for me right now. And yeah. and it may later down the road, and I don't know, it may not, you know, I have a lot of, and, and it's been so many years of, I mean, how do I, I'm trying to think of how to say this without coming across like a huge douchebag, And I don't know if I can, so I'm just <laughs> going to be the douche. Okay. Um,
0: I'll let you know how, I'll give you a rating on a scale of one to the biggest douche I've ever met.
1: Perfect. I love it. I'm looking forward to it. Um, when you have to tell people every single day that you're working that they have cancer. And when you sometimes have to tell those people that despite all of the trust that they have put in you, that you cannot cure their cancer and that they're going to die from it. Uh, it That being such a central part of my life that I honestly did not realize when I went into medicine that I was going to tell somebody every day I work that they have cancer. I didn't appreciate that. And now having done that for 11 years, it has kind of put me in this position where honestly things that are heavy and things that, and I don't know if I want to use the term pessimistic, uh, but but I guess that's the best I can come up with right now. And, And if you can think of a better word, you know, let me know. But But things where, um, I don't know, it just starts to feel like it's a reflection of this part of my real life that I'm trying to get away from and now I'm having to face it yet again.
0: You know, that's really fair. Like, it's... I, I think that a situation like yours where you do have to give people bad news on the reg, like, I think that to process that you can approach it from one of two ways. And I don't think either of them is right or wrong. I think that they're both just valid ways in which you can process that. And I think that you have chosen. I don't want more of that when I'm not on the clock. I want to watch something that I want to, you know, participate in things that are maybe a little lighter things Mm -hmm. that are going to help me escape what I have to deal with the heavy. Very much so
1: yeah of that
0: everyday accurate. job. And again, I don't think that's wrong. I think that that's fair and I think that literally millions if not billions of people do it for the exact same reason where like f- you know, you have a particularly hard y- you know, thing that you have to deal with in your life because you do have to give people extremely rough news on the reg. But like also, when we look at the world we live in, most of us have extremely rough lives and have to figure out how to process that every single day. And so I think that it's a totally valid thing for you to be like, and the way I'm choosing to process this is Ted Lasso. Uh Feel good, low stakes, and that's good. And it's not bad. And I think other people, that's very much what I do. And I think other people, and I think that I find myself sometimes in the camp that you're in sometimes i do just want escapism sometimes i just want to play i just want to do some fucking raids in final fantasy 14 turn (laughs) off my brain and listen to a podcast where some people are talking about you know whatever the hell like something dumb but other times i do really like to use my free time to reflect on the life that i lead and the way that it could be different by reading or experiencing things like this.
1: Yeah. And I think and that's so, a fascinating way to think about it that, um, that, that I really appreciate. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know that I'm there, but I'm glad that I'm glad that the option is there to approach things that way. You know, it wasn't, I didn't enjoy reading these stories, But I was glad they existed because I think they express and espouse some very valid and very real feelings and things that so many people have to experience and deal with on a daily basis that, yeah, sometimes the way you need to deal with those things is to, kind of sit in them and maybe have something help you approach them in a different frame of mind or from a different point of view in a way that I think it can help your, It could help you process that still in a very healthy way.
0: For sure. Well, and a lot of what she's doing here is social critique because again, oh, yeah. these are like we said, these are like nominally dystopian sci-fi stories. Like, they are but that's not what the point is like sometimes when you're reading sci-fi the point is for it to be sci-fi and like have some fantastical you know science some some kind of future world you know and sometimes the sci-fi exists in order for you to and i think this is true of the best sci-fi sci-fi exists for you to look at the world that you live in and analyze the world that you're living in through a lens of fiction, through a lens of, you know, well, this isn't our world, but in a lot of ways it is our world. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, like that first story that you read, I think that, you know, so this, this uh, collection is not a collection that was published this way in Japan. This is a collection that was decided by these translators from all of her collected works to say these are the seven stories we want to put in the first collection of Izumi Suzuki stories written or published in English um so I don't know that it's necessarily a like a best of or a greatest hit sort of situation I would hope that that's not the case that there are other stories that are just as good in the other collection that just came out and I think there's a third one that's planned for a year or two from now Um, but so there's seven stories in here and the first one, I, well, I think smoke gets in your eyes, which is the fifth story is my favorite. The first one, women and women, and the very last one, terminal boredom are the two that I feel like are most impactful. Um, so you read women and women and what that uh-huh. one is about essentially is that like, it is like this post post collapse society, but what caused them to collapse is they realized that men needed to be literally ghettoized and exist as sperm creators in a ghetto. But like all society, real society is just women. And like, it's presented not as like a positive thing, but also not as a negative thing. It's like presented in a really weirdly neutral way. Mm -hmm. Um, but eventually the protagonist meets this boy who's been like living secretly you know his father hiding and uh, before he hit puberty his mother dressing him up and pretending that he was a girl and sending him off to school and stuff and then once he hit puberty he was also hiding like his father and like so the protagonist girl and this boy start having these heart-to-heart conversations about like well doesn't it really suck the way that like men are ghetto wise, like this is a really heavy handed thing on the part of the translator that I think kind of sucks. Um, but they literally like the place where they send the men is an acronym. G G E T O. I don't remember what the exact words are, but like, that's the most heavy handed bullshit you could possibly do. The, (laughs) the acronym of the place is ghetto. Like get the hell out of here. Bad translation, but regardless, um, It's just a, it's just like a cutesy thing that I can't imagine is there in the original Japanese and just feels so affected and gross when compared to the rest of the story, but whatever. Um, So like, you know, she's talking with this boy about how like, it's not fair what they do to men and like the way that they treat men. And then what ends up happening? He fucking rapes her. Mm -hmm. He rapes her. And that's where the story ends. Is she, he, he rapes her and disappears. And then she's like okay. So like the story ends with like yeah, like it sucks that men are sent to this like ghetto but also what happens when they're not in the ghetto?
1: Yeah.
0: And and so it's like this it's just like really raw, you know? Like ext- and like it doesn't a- it doesn't answer any questions. It doesn't answer any questions. It just presents all of this and just says sh- shrug emoji. Mhm. Which like can be really dissatisfying to readers sometimes, but like, I think creates a lot of, of, uh, you know, thought on the part of the reader. And then that last story, terminal boredom is actually the story she wrote like three days before she died. Oh, wow. And so like, like she, she sent it off to reviewers, like literally days before she, she ended up, you know, dying by suicide. And that story is maybe the most like, The bleakest of them, which is saying something because obviously a lot of them are bleak, (laughs) but like terminal boredom is, you know, set again in this like near future situation where like the entire younger generation feels nothing. They don't remember to eat because they get no enjoyment out of eating nothing means anything to them. And they're all just like bemused and bewildered by their parents who still like feel emotions and like Hmm. give a shit because the entire generation of younger people could not care less about anything. Hmm. And like, you know, they, they walk around and at some point they like see a man beat a woman to death. And it's like the first time that the boy in the story has felt emotion in years because he's like, that was, that was pretty interesting, wasn't it? We just saw that happen in like real life. I'm going to see if I can find someone recording a video of it. And like, it's just this thing of like the only thing that can break through the like mundanity and mendacity and absolute meaninglessness of contemporary life is ultraviolence. And again, it doesn't answer any questions there, but it makes you think to yourself, is this the world that we really live in? I don't think it's that bad, but I can see how one might feel that it is that bad. You know, when you look at the way that the world is today, when I was on, you know, I'm going to get, you know, topical here for a little bit, folks, but like, I was on Twitter earlier today. I refuse to call it X, but I was on there earlier today and I saw information about these cops who fucking murdered a pregnant woman in her car because she was suspected of stealing something. She hadn't, but they suspected her. So they shot her in her car until she was dead. And like, that's the world we live in. Or, you know... Texas has enacted all of these like hideous anti-abortion rules and so now we've got these like militia assholes who are setting up unofficial checkpoints at the state border to try to keep people from leaving the state to uh to you know engage in their own medical procedures because they're trying to make sure that they make sure that no baby is ever aborted again and it's like and and is anything happening these people who are doing this extra judici- judicially no because the state government doesn't care so like i look at stuff like that and i'm like okay i understand how suzuki reaches a point in her writing where she's like this is where we're headed we're headed to a yeah. world where we're also disaffected that the only thing that can bring any emotion out of us is ultra violence and it's just like i don't know it is heavy it's really heavy but like i'm also reminded always of mariam kaba who is this thinker who i really respect the hell out of she is a um a, a big thinker in prison abolition and and police abolition um and her catchphrase that she always says whenever people are like what do we do when things are like this and this is a thing that like i try to remember whenever i feel like things are at their worst And that I feel that I start to feel the way that it feels like Suzuki feels or like Suzuki's protagonists feel. And what Kaba says is, let this radicalize you rather than lead you to despair. Mm. And fundamentally, that's not what this book gives us. But that's what I want to aspire to in my life. That I want to be radicalized by the injustice I see rather than dissociate. Yeah. But it's not very easy. No. It's, no, real, it's, it's real easy to just be like, Man, this place is pretty fucked up, isn't it? And not do anything about it. Yeah. But I feel like it is important to remember that. Let it, let it radicalize you rather than lead you to despair. And maybe that's where I will leave this um, as we wrap up here, is that I think these stories are really great, but I think that they give you a cautionary tale of what might happen if we do not aspire to something better. I don't know. Any final yeah. thoughts before we wrap up, Peter?
1: No, I think that that... Uh, I, I think that... I think you bring up some really good points. And and again, like I say, I I think that these were interesting, the ones I read. Um, certainly well written, uh, as, insofar as, as how they were translated. <clears throat> I just... It just it wasn't something that I had room for kind of in, in what I'm going through right now. Um, but I thought that, you know, yeah, there's a lot of messed up stuff and we need to anything that helps us at least occasionally pause and reflect. And, and for me, You know, I I kind of have always told my kids, I said, look, what matters to me is that you're kind to those around you and that you try and lift people up, that you try and make the world in some little way a better place. And sometimes we need to be reminded that there's, you know, some ugly stuff out there so that we are inspired to go, "Okay, how can I how can I make this world a better place?
0: Yeah, I think that that's it's not all we can do. Cause obviously we can just dissociate and become disaffected, but I don't feel like that's the choice I want to make. That's how I'll say it. That is sure. not the choice yeah. I am making. And that is not the choice I will make. I refuse to make that choice. I agree with you. But anyway, we are going to be done there. Sorry if it was a little downer there at the end, but uh, <laughs> let yeah. it radicalize you rather than lead you to despair.
1: Exactly.
0: And like I said last week in that beautiful quote from George Sand who is not a novelist I've read very much of but whose letters I really like. Let us love each other to the end. That's all we can do. The world is dying but all we can do is love each other. Yep. So we're going to wrap up here and uh, if you have anything you want to say to us or share with us you can reach out to us at feedback at com. Um, and we will be back in two weeks with a, uh, with a new thing to talk about. I'm going to bet it's gonna be less heavy
1: (laughs) i think you might be right i think you might be right (laughs) all right talk to you later later